And diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancer are not a normal part of aging. They're not. They're not. We're not supposed to be sick when we get older. It's because of some of the um, things we do throughout our lives that we end up sick. But the normal state of the human body is to not be sick. And, and the body's always trying to get us back to a, a, a balance. What if I told you that you had the power to change your life today just by choosing what you will eat next? Welcome to the podcast, Eat Your Best Life, where together through interviews and conversations, we dig deep into the power of plant-based nutrition and other lifestyle changes in enhancing your life both physically and spiritually. If you are ready to level up concerning your health, then this is the show for you. I am your host, Cersei Blue. Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Eat Your Best Life. I'm your host, Cersei Blue, a.k.a. The Faithful Vegan. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes as it helps us to reach more people. And please don't forget to ask to join our private Facebook group called Eat Your Best Life. You could also find me on Instagram at thefaithful.vegan and on Facebook as The Faithful Vegan. So let's dive into the episode for today. This episode, I have a very power-packed conversation with Maria Jose Hamel. She is a nutritionist, a health educator, an author, and an international speaker who has been teaching nutrition, health, disease prevention, and plant-based cooking for many, many years. She has appeared on numerous cooking shows, and she has authored a popular plant-based cookbook. And she is also the founder of Health for Today, Eat Like an Adventist, and The Original Diet, which she maintains all these platforms in both English and Spanish. She has completed her master's in public health, and she is currently working on a doctorate in naturopath medicine with an emphasis on nutrition and natural remedies. In this episode, she talks about why we should eat like an Adventist. She also talks about the eight laws to building our immune system during this pandemic. She also sheds light on the role that the meat industry and meat consumption has on the current pandemic we are facing today. Maria is passionate about health and wellness, and she loves to motivate others to live healthfully. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the remarkable Maria Jose Hamel. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm going. I'm doing good. Great. I am so excited to have you on the show. I've been a follower of your social media and a lot of your content. Um, and I'm just so excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here with you. Wonderful. So let's just dive right in. So can you tell a little bit about, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you became um, this nutritionist and this advocate and health educator around eating healthy? So, yes. So in, I am a nutritionist now. I also have a master's in public health. I'm currently finishing my doctorate degree. But uh, I wasn't originally a nutritionist to start off. I was like an engineer working here in the Silicon Valley. And when my oldest daughter was nine years old, she uh, was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. 
And so we, I started looking into it, into the disease itself. The doctor had told me that there's, it's not related to food or anything like that. And it's a chronic disease. She'll have it forever that she needs to start taking these, you know, medications immediately four times a day, probably for the rest of her life. And when the disease progresses, she'll probably be on steroids. And I mean, it's just a bleak outlook. And uh, I started looking into it and I decided that, uh, you know, after much research that we should change into a whole food plant-based diet and, you know, adopt other lifestyle changes. And, um, and, you know, I have to say that at the time she was having this chronic diarrhea, rectal bleeding, I mean, all kinds of different uh, symptoms and, and, and her health was just not, she's just not doing good at all. And then when we started this change, um, she immediately started to feel better. In about a week, the diarrhea uh, was gone. And in about a month, the rectal bleeding was gone. Now, this disease is characterized by flare-ups. So, you know, the doctor had said, you know, she'll be okay for a while. Then she'll, you know, have a relapse and this and that. And so we kept on going as far as what the new protocol was for nutrition and, and different lifestyle changes. And... Um, and this has been now 17 years since that happened, more or less, almost 18, I think. And she never had another relapse. She's been Crohn's free for about 17 or 18 years now. Now, wow. she, she, had a, she had a surgery, totally unrelated surgery last year, a couple of years ago. And the doctor still asked her because it's still in her chart. And they say, how's your Crohn's? And she's like, what? Like, I don't, I don't have it. <laughs> and they go, okay, it's a, you know, it's on remission and they write remission on the chart and that's okay. If that's how they want to, you know, consider her, her health. But to be honest with you, she's been Crohn's free for, for a long, long time. So I'm, I don't even call it remission myself. <laughs> I think she's. Okay. Been- wow. Wow, that's an amazing story. Yeah. And so after all of that, then you kind of shift gears and kind yeah. of... I, I pretty much went right into uh, nutrition. I had to take some remedial courses in order for me to get like a master's degree in nutrition. And then I continued on to public health. And I've been like a, uh, a health educator and nutritionist. I, I worked in a clinical setting uh, for many years. And now I do more of the uh, educational and advocate um, type of work where I just educate people and I do conferences, I do cooking classes, different things like that. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. It's my passion. Wonderful. So what's quite interesting is that you have a a Facebook page and you call it Eat Like an Inventist. Could you tell us a little bit about why you called it that? So a few years ago, in fact, starting back in 2005, there was an um, article on uh, National Geographic talking, talking about the longevity regions in the world, and they called they call them the Blue Zones. Mm-hmm. And Loma Linda, California is the only region in, Northern, in North America uh, that, that fit, that qualified, you know, as the Blue Zone. And Loma Linda, California is a town with a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists. And I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of put Loma Linda in the map. And, but also Loma Linda had already been doing some uh, health studies, like epidemiological studies called the uh, Adventist Study 1, Adventist Study 2, which had found that Adventists live longer than the average Californian. 
um, by about 10 years, if they follow all the different uh, things that the Adventist church has been teaching for about 150 years. Now, not everybody follows the teachings. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Adventist population is such a good population to study, because you can kind of take out some of the confounding factors like Adventists don't smoke and generally don't drink alcohol. So the only you know differences between people are mainly dietary. So this is a good population to study. And so what they found, especially with the Adventist Health Study too, is that there's this like stepwise improvement as you uh, move more into a whole food plant-based diet. So the less animal products you consume, you end up having a better BMI, less chances of diabetes, less chances of high blood pressure. I mean, stepwise, like, mm -hmm. you know, you move from omnivore to just uh, eating fish. And then from eating fish to being ovo-lacto-vegetarian and from ovo-lacto-vegetarian to vegan, there's a constant improvement in each one of those steps. Mm. So, so then the people from the Blue Zones wrote a book called uh, Blue Zones. And so it, it even made it more of a thing. And then some of the media started picking it up. So there was a story, I think it was on NBC. I think it was a Today Show that actually the title of it was eat like an Adventist. So I, I thought, well, that's a great title. And yes. so a couple of years ago, I started that Facebook page, Eat Like an Adventist. And I pretty much just put a lot of recipes that I try to vet. You know, I try to go yes. into each one of them and make sure it's whole food plant-based because the word, the, word, the word vegetarian or the word vegan don't necessarily mean whole food plant-based. And I'm more right. into whole food plant-based than just vegetarian or vegan. So I try to look into the recipes to see if they qualify. And then I, I post them. I, I've also posted a few of my own. And so that's basically what the, that the, what the uh, page is all about. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah, I know I've read a lot about the Adventist studies, and I'm glad you made that distinction. Could you kind of elaborate a little bit more? Because I think a lot of times, everyone's pulled into one thing that you automatically think, well, if you're vegan, you're healthy. And if you're plant-based, that they're all, can you just talk a little bit about that distinction? So yeah, basically a, a person who calls themselves vegetarian basically means they're not eating meat products. So they still consume, could anyway, consume uh, some eggs, for instance, or dairy products. So vegetarian is not necessarily all vegan. Now, vegan really is more of a, um, a, a word that could describe maybe more of a, an advocate for maybe ethical veganism. So a lot of people who, you know, who go into veganism do it more for either uh, environmental reasons or for maybe animal rights reasons. And so they uh, stay away from all animal products, even if it's not even part of a diet. It's more like I won't even use leather, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's all, those are all good reasons. Uh, but not everybody goes into uh, a, a diet that is free from animal products for the same uh, motivation. So, and so then whole food plant-based is more, I think it, it's more descriptive of someone who's looking for a, a healthy diet uh, because of course, um, staying away from animal products does have quite a few health benefits. Uh, so, but not only staying away from animal products, but also staying away from, from things that are very highly um, processed. So for instance, you can eat Oreo cookies and call yourself a vegan because Oreo cookies are vegan. Mm -hmm. 
Right, but that right. Mean they're whole food <laughs> plant based. So because they're a highly processed type of food, they wouldn't qualify as a whole food. So someone who's whole food plant based um, mainly eats foods that are as grown. So a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables, of course, but also whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds. And in fact, some people who are whole food plant-based do eat some animal products. I would recommend that that stays below 10%, hopefully even below 5% of calories right. to really be whole food plant-based. And ideally, I think 100% whole food plant-based is even better. Uh, but you see how the definitions are completely different. Right, right. They have such a range. But yeah. going back to the um, eat like the Adventist concept, can you give us some of the... Um, I, I know they were talking about the centurions and they were living the longest. Can you give us some key elements that that population was doing? You're saying they're eating whole food plant-based, but were there any other indicators that kind of was distinctive to that population? So yes, Seventh-day Adventists have been kind of promoting a lot of health practices for like since the mid-1800s. So one of them is diet because we believe that we should eat more like the Genesis diet, you know, a plant-based diet. And there's different reasons why humans started eating uh, animal foods later, but it wasn't the original intention, so to speak. So diet is an important one. But we also believe in other health practices like exercise, drinking enough water, sleeping enough um, hours at night. And uh, staying away from uh, addictive substances such as alcohol and tobacco, even when the church got started in the 1800s, this was a big deal. Mm. So staying away from such things and also getting some sunlight and breathing fresh air mm. um, and, and resting enough, not only at night, but also once a week, so taking a day off from work every week. That's also very important. And trust, having trust so that you are not, you know, bogged down with stress. So it's very important. Our faith is very important for, you know, coping with stressful situations, even like right, right now, right, right now with this pandemic. So all of those things, there's like eight um, practices, I guess we call them eight laws of health, but it's right. basically eight practices that Adventists are encouraged to practice from almost the very beginning of our church. So a lot of the people who live in Loma Linda uh, really do take that um, seriously. And because we do have a, a health um, center, you know, like a, a medical center and a university there. So there's a concentration of people who are healthcare workers, med uh, medical staff in Loma Linda. So there's a lot of emphasis on health. And so a lot of them doctors practice these uh, things as well as other people who live in Loma Linda. And I have to say, some of them starting eating a whole food plant-based diet way before there was any um, evidence or research on it. So they, you know, been eating whole food plant-based since the 40s and 50s, you know, before right, there was Right, right, right. That's, that's the thing about the Seventh-day Adventist Church that I really appreciate is that, the, you know, now we know all this information, but this is something that they've been doing for so long. And then now I think the science is just quote unquote backing it up, but this has right. been practice that was there way, way in advance. So that, right. that, that's kind of intriguing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's why these people who are now in their, you know, 
over 100 years old. Right. They, they have been practicing these things for decades. And that's kind of what has made this uh, a little different, right? Because a lot of people have come into the movement in the last 10, 20 years. But, uh, but they have, they, they're kind of like a, a good evidence that if you practice these things for many decades, then you have a better chance at uh, getting old in good health. It's not just about extending life, right. but extending health. You don't want to get to your 90s and, you know, plus and, and, be, and be sick in the last decades of your life be the worst. Uh, you want that to be the exact opposite. And so there's many case, many um, examples of people who live in these five blue zone uh, areas where people get to live to their 80s, 90s, and even more in, in good health and energy and not bogged down with chronic diseases like we are we see so much here. Yeah, that's a good distinction because I think a lot of times when we look at the elderly population, I guess in the mainstream, there's this association that you get older, you get on more medication, your high blood, your blood pressure goes up, you, you're, you're, you're sickly. And to know that there is a way by looking at these blue zones that you could actually age and still be able to walk every day and hike and have mental clarity. I mean, I think that's really the message of what it means to kind of do the right thing now so that you could reap that. Because I think a lot of people just expect, okay, I'm going to be old. And so I'm going to have deficits, but what you're saying and based on what the blue zones are showing us is that this can, you could, you could live a full life in, in, in health. I mean, right. In, in other words, uh, a high blood pressure and heart disease and diabetes are not, yes. and cancer are not a normal part of aging. They're not. Can you they say that here. again? Say that again. <laughs> okay. So heart disease and diabetes, high blood pressure and cancer are not a normal part of aging. They're not. They're not. We're not supposed to be sick when we get older. It's because of some of the um, things we do throughout our lives that we end up sick, but the normal state of the human body is to not be sick. And, and the body's always trying to get us back to a, a, a balance, but yet we keep breaking these laws. And so we keep uh, sort of, um, you know, making it worse for ourselves in that sense, but we don't realize it sometimes because it could take decades for these processes to happen. But unfortunately, things have changed. And so now when I worked as a, cl- uh, as a clinical nutritionist in here in California, I got to see a lot of children nowadays. Um, being diagnosed with diseases that were only diagnosed in adult age, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So children, you know, ages 10 or younger even, are being diagnosed with uh, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes type 2 at a young age. So now it doesn't take many decades, it seems, to, to develop anymore. Now it's much shorter so young people are, 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 are getting sick with these disease, chronic diseases. Would you say we're eating worse now with the, with the industry of processed foods Absolutely. being a staple? Um, so things are happening far faster than it was. Absolutely. Yeah. I can tell you, as a, you know, I'm 48. I just turned 48 years old. But growing up as a young person, it, you know, it would be once in a while that you that at least personally, I can just speak for my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. But only once in a while we would have, for instance, 
burgers and fries. It was just a big deal for us to, you know, to take a trip to to the burger joint and eat, you know, some burgers. Maybe a few, maybe a, once a year, twice a year. Uh, same with, you know, drinking soda it was only for like birthdays and things like that. But today, it just seems that our children, especially this generation born after the year 2000, they're growing up with these foods almost daily. And so I think the diet of this generation has become a lot worse than even for us parents growing up. Wow. So what do you feel is something that we can do to break this cycle? I think by people understanding that there's a connection between food and disease, Absolutely. you know, how, how, how do we educate ourselves and how do we get that message out for people to make those connections and to actually make change? Because I think a lot of times we're so addicted to our patterns and the way we eat and having, telling someone to pull away from these things, it's, 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 it's so difficult. What advice would you give someone who kind of knows the understanding, but how do, how do we start the process of peeling away from all of this way of eating? I think the first thing is really to realize and be aware of the fact that processed foods have only been with us for, for, for a few decades. So if you think about what did our grandparents grow up eating, where did our, uh, our great-grandparents grow up eating, they ate real food, you know? And, and even if we think about this, you know, in terms of our great-grandparents, for instance, what we call organic food, they just called food because that was all, that was all they had. You know, nowadays we just think of this like whole food, vegan, this and that, vegetarian as like some kind of exceptional thing. Whereas this is what most people grew up eating right. you know, in their lives. So that was normal food. And what we have today is, um, is, 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 is different. It's like, I would say not the norm. Uh, throughout history of humanity, mm. you know, eating so many uh, processed foods that you know, if you if you look at the ingredient list, you can't even recognize half of them. Wow, you can't even pronounce them. What are we putting into our bodies? So I think realizing that this is not the norm for most of human history. That what we're eating mostly processed foods, and also it's harder to realize, but we're just eating a much much higher percentage of animal foods in our diets than even our ancestors did. Even if they weren't vegetarian or vegan, there was just we didn't have the production of animal foods at the scale we have today. Right. It was only available to rich people. You know what I mean? If you if you're just a normal person, you just couldn't afford to eat chicken every day. You would have gone through all your chickens and then run out of them. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right. It, 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 even today, traditional societies can afford to eat as much animal foods as we as we do in more like the Western societies or first world countries because it's just not accessible. So just thinking about in terms of, you know, is this normal and is this uh, natural for humans? And it's not. And that's why it's causing so many diseases today and we see them at a higher and higher rate and a younger and younger uh, age. So if we just go back to what humans are supposed to eat, what we were designed to eat, I think that's the first step of realization that, uh, you know, sodas and chips and, and, and cookies and candies are not what our bodies are meant to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not normal and natural. Yeah, so I think that's the way to realize that we, we're on the wrong path. Yes, that's so true. Um, 
And I think a lot of times we don't really know what we're actually doing to our bodies, you know, and I, I say this a lot and people probably say, oh, you say this so often, but I honestly believe that, you know, there's a level there's stewardship of our health. And I think a lot of times people don't necessarily um, make those connections. They'll say, well, I have to be a steward of my money and I got to be stewards of my resources and of my love. But there is an aspect of being a steward of your health. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's something that I think God requires of us. Could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because um, we don't have a body in our closets, you know, when w- this one is used up, we, we can just go get the other one. You know, we don't, yeah. have, we don't have planet B, we don't have body B, we only have this one. And once we, um, we damage it, there's no return sometimes. And so I do think God has given us our bodies to take it like a temple, take care of it like mm. a temple. And some of us who go to church, we don't take our trash to church. Right. We, you know, we don't we don't just throw our trash in the in the aisles of the church because we consider that a sacred place. Mm. But yet for some of us who are believers, we're we know the Bible says our body is a temple. So how is it that we're putting junk in this temple, which is actually more important, I think, than the building that the building go, itself, yes. That, that yes. people go to and worship because our body will always be a temple. Yes, that's that's a powerful visualization that you just put out there. You know, when you look at it so visually, like how you're saying it, we would just never do that. We wouldn't just take all of our garbage and just dump it at the altar, so to speak. But yet we do that with our bodies. That was a that was a powerful illustration. So in in terms of, you know, before we get into um, some of the thing, current issues that are going on today, in terms of chronic disease and, and, and things like that, what are you seeing when in your practice? Are you seeing, are, are, are people transforming their lives when they switch? Are they reversing their diabetes and their blood pressure? What kind of success stories have you seen? Absolutely. You know, I've gone to places that I've gone for the second time, maybe after a period of maybe a year or two. And then when I go, these people come up to me and they go, oh, hello, do you recognize me? And I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I, I meet a lot of people. They're like, oh, maybe you don't recognize me because I'm 40 pounds lighter now since you came the first time. You really motivated me to change. And and they start telling me, you know, how their diabetes is reversed, how their blood pressure came down, how they were, you know, uh, had heart disease and they were almost ready to have a heart um uh, surgery and then they changed their diet and their the surgery was canceled and I mean I've heard so many stories uh, of actual even close friends who I had a close friend who was scheduled to have an amputation because of his diabetes mm. and uh, and and the, and he begged the, he begged the doctor not to do the amputation yet because he was planning to change. And the doctor's like, well, I, I'm going to have to remove this little toe and then take out some of the skin. And then in two months, we're going to reevaluate. And his wife is the one who's really close to me. And his wife changed his diet and he couldn't exercise at all. He couldn't put his foot down for months. But yet just the diet change made the difference. And he was going every week to the nurses to clean up his wounds because they had just taken skin off of him because it was just damaged and, and, and had to, you know, had an infection. And so he was going for wound cleaning every week. And the, and the nurses started noticing there was a change and, and his wound was just healing so fast. And they, they were asking them, you know, what, what have you been doing? 
And she was like, oh, yeah, we've been eating this and that. And they're like, oh, okay, well, just keep going. And so after two months, he was supposed to be reevaluated. And the doctor was determined whether he was going to have a foot amputated all the way up to the knee. That was going to be the, the, the decision she was going to make. And when he came back after two months, uh, she looked at his uh, wound and his infection, his foot, basically. That's where the infection was located. And she was like, I've never seen anybody recover so quickly and basically reverse the, an infection. And she canceled the amputation. He did not have to have the, the foot amputated, let alone up to his knee. So, I mean, I just heard stories like that of, of recovery. And of course, those are ones that I heard. But if you go on the internet and look at uh, websites like Forks Overnights, they have a lot of different testimonials of people who have changed their diet and just reversed conditions that were thought to be irreversible just a few years ago. But it just goes to show the power of, of the right diet combined, hopefully, with even other lifestyle changes is just amazing. It is, it is. And so can you just tell us a little bit about, I know you put a lot of recipes and you do cooking shows. How do you make this lifestyle easy and practical? Somebody who's new, they, you know, they know they have health concerns or they just want to, you know, eat more healthy. How do you make this doable and easy and delicious? So I think it, I think the main part you just hit the, you just hit right there. The main, the main point is to make it, uh, delicious mm-hmm. because if you make whole food plant-based recipes and they don't taste good to you, they're probably not going to stick around. But the thing is also to remember that our palates are, um, kind of, I would say altered by our diet too. So yes. unfortunately, if we are used to eating a high salt, high fat, high sugar diet, it might take just a couple of weeks to change our palate because our taste buds do recycle. So it just, you know, just like a patient who is hypertensive and the doctor says no more salt and you can't eat any more salt at all. You have to stop. And, and then they go home and they try to eat food without salt and it just tastes terrible. But, you know, if they just keep going for two or three weeks after two or three weeks, you notice a change and food starts just tasting better. And once you eat like normal food again, it just tastes too salty. So that goes to show that our our taste buds do change with time if we just stick to a diet of less sugar and less salt. And I think we could change our perception of taste uh, when we start consuming less salt and less sugar. So I think we need to maybe for some people, it will be a gradual change. It's easier for them to just change one step at a time. And I understand that's what people need to do sometimes. However, people who are um, maybe have a chronic disease or diabetics or have heart disease or cancer or something like that, for them, it's more important to make quick changes because when you make quick, big changes, you see quick, big results. Whereas if you make gradual changes, you see smaller results throughout time. So it depends on people's needs. And I've seen people, you know, do both. I've seen people go cold turkey and change right away and, you know, get a really good whole food plant-based cookbook and start, you know, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner that way. And I've seen people do gradual changes and that works. So it depends on the individual. So whatever works for people, I think is better. Even moving one step at a time is better than not moving at all. So I think it depends on people's situation, but it is very important to find, I think, a good whole food plant-based diet or, or uh, cookbook or, or recipes online and start moving 
towards that goal. Yes. Okay. So we're going to pivot a little bit because right now, I think what's on a lot of people's minds is the current pandemic that we're in right now, which is the uh, COVID-19. And a lot of people are feeling um, helpless, right? They're feeling um, scared and fearful and wondering, you know, what can I do? Of course, we know there's the washing of the hands and we're doing the social isolation, but is there anything more that we can do to build our immunity? Um, I know that you had on your site a very interesting article um, about how the Adventists beat the Spanish flu in 1918. Um, And so I know a lot of people are are making comparisons Mm -hmm. to the Spanish flu, to what's happening now. What was going on then and how did the Adventists rise above it different from the average population? So let me tell you a quick story. In 1918, there was a, an article published in the um, in Hutchinson, a town, a town called Hutchinson, Minnesota, in the Hutchinson Leader, which is a newspaper of that town. And they were talking about how there was this seminary, Seventh-day Adventist Seminary in Hutchinson, Minnesota. And... Uh, the article in the Hutchinson Leader said, you know, the Adventists since the uh, the pandemic or something like that. I don't remember the exact title, but basically, in the this seminary had 180 students, and 120 of those students lived under one roof, all together in this one building, and 90 of them were infected with the uh, influenza uh, virus of the Spanish flu virus, basically. And they were immediately put under the care of the nurse and the doctor or whatever. And the protocol was this. The protocol was they were put to bed rest. So they needed to stay in bed. They were given a carefully monitored diet, which knowing the you know story of the history of Seventh-day Adventists, mm-hmm. it was probably a whole food plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And they were also um, given uh, fomentation treatments. So that means um, they were given these hot compress hot wet compresses to the chest, the neck, and the abdomen. And um, and that was the treatment, basically bed rest, a very healthy diet, and uh, fomentations to, and it's basically um, moist heat. That's what fomentations are. And basically what that did is that it brought down their fever immediately, and they most of them recovered in about a day, which is pretty remarkable. But they were kept in bed for another, uh, you know, four or five days just to make sure they didn't relapse. But they were, they reported that they had no serious cases of the 1918 uh, Spanish flu, despite 90 of them being infected with it. There were no serious cases and there were no fatalities whatsoever. And this was, as you probably know, an epidemic that had a high fatality rate, but they saw no deaths and, um, and, and then there are other sanitariums at the time. Um, so sanitariums were these like wellness centers at the time. They called them sanitariums. And there are others throughout the United States, uh, Adventist sanitariums that practice similar um, protocols for people. And I, they gathered information after the fact, you know, after the Spanish flu had um, died down, they, they gathered the, um, the data from it. And, uh, uh, at one point, they gathered the data from 1,000 
patients. And some of them have been sent home to kind of take care of themselves. And some of them have been uh, cared at the sanitariums. And they noticed the difference that the people who stayed in the sanitarium did much better. The fatality rate was way lower because they were given these fomentation treatments and they were given a very carefully monitored diet. And, uh, and that made a huge difference in the recovery time. And what it does is that these fomentations, which is like the, um, again, this moist heat applied especially to the chest, it really does um, stimulate not only the circulation of blood, but because, of course, the heat stimulates blood circulation. That's why your skin becomes red. You know, it attracts a lot of circulation into the area, but also your lymph. And that's where your... Um, immune system cells are found. So it actually stimulates the immune system to fight off the infection. And of course, uh, given, given a healthy diet, I do have um, in my guide the eight steps for boosting your immune system. And the number one step is diet because a whole food plant-based diet will give you enough micronutrients, so those are the minerals, the vitamins, and the phytochemicals and the antioxidants that boost your immune system but also fiber, because now we know that fiber is very important for the microbiome that is your gut bacteria. And that the good bacteria actually stimulates the immune system as well. So there's all these pathways by which we can stimulate our immune system, one being the diet. And with some, with, for someone who's sick, these uh, fomentations are very important for bringing up the immune system even more so that it could fight the disease for you. Because, you know, we have to realize for the 1918 pandemic and for the current COVID-19 pandemic, mm. there's no cure right now. There's no medication to treat it. We have no approved medications. We have no vaccination. So in the meantime, the only thing we have to rely on is our own immune system. And uh, we know that the immune system is eventually what keeps us healthy for infectious, with infectious diseases. So what makes a difference between a person who gets a mild case of COVID-19 and a person who gets a serious case? The difference is how immunocompromised that person is. So someone who has diabetes, we know the, the immune system is compromised right there and then because the sugar levels are so much higher and sugar does bring your immunity down. We've seen that. And I show that again in, my, in, my, in the research in the guide, I give you the references so you can look that up. But basically we have shown that sugar brings down immunity, brings down your immune function. And so a person who's diabetic also has lowered immunity, as, we, as you probably know, because they heal, uh, they take so much longer to heal from anything, even if a cold or, 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 or an infection, anything takes longer for a diabetic. But someone who eats sugar is, under, is in the same boat, you know, <laughs> their immunity is compromised as well. So there are things we can do to boost our immune system to hopefully prevent and in case of an infection, even hopefully recover faster of an infectious disease, just, just like the flu or COVID-19. Wow. I think a lot of times, I mean, you know, they have a lot of memes going around on the internet right now, just showing that everyone's going into social isolation, but we're picking up the cookies and the crackers and the chips and you know what I mean? And, and yeah. yet a lot of the, the vibrant foods of the veggies and all that is still there. And so I think a lot of people are not getting that connection that now is the time to build our immunity. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, yes. And let me tell you something else. Uh, in the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic, they, doctors started realizing something else. Uh, the, the patients that were indoors a lot took much longer to recover. So in places like in Boston, they ran out of hospital beds. So they had to, you know, build these like tent hospitals. So they put these patients in tents and some of them were kept outside of the tents because, you know, it was good weather. So they were put outside and it turns out the, that the patients who were outside in the fresh air and sunlight recovered way faster. And now we know that it is because sunlight is a disinfectant and so is fresh air. So if you are just like bogged down inside the house and you're not coming out for fr some fresh air and if weather permits some sunlight, uh, it's probably going to take longer to recover just about from any infectious disease. So that's another difference uh, between the 1918. And I think Adventists have always, you know, um, uh, also promoted sunlight. Like I said, fresh air and sunlight is part of our eight laws of health. But even People outside of the Adventist church recognized that because hospitals were built to have big, big windows and they were built to be south facing to get enough sunlight in so that patients can recover faster. And so I was just reading this uh, article from the Journal of Hospital Infections that recognized the fact that the combination of fresh air or like ventilation and sunlight made a huge difference. But Unfortunately, those practices were, you know, abandoned in the 1950s when we started having antibiotics, thinking, you know, oh, the antibiotics will solve the problem. So we don't have to, you know, have big windows and expose patients to the sun anymore because right. we have this, you know, miracle cure, antibiotics. And now we know that the story with antibiotics didn't end there. And we have a lot of antibiotic resistant organisms out there. And we have virus, new emerging viruses like, like this new coronavirus. So we have not won the um, war against pathogens. And I think we should go back to some of those practices in the past that were so, um, that were so successful in treating patients and in preventing transmission of infectious diseases, like the uh, hydrotherapy with the, um, the, the fomentations and, and the right diet and sunlight and fresh air. All these things were very successful back in in the day before vaccinations and antibiotics. And I think we need to return to some of those. That's my opinion. Wonderful, wonderful. So for someone who's trying to, who you know, what? so what can the average person do in practical steps who's trying to, I guess, they don't have the virus, but they're trying to think, what can I do? To prevent, prevent it. it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So it's, they should look really into you know, eight way, you know, the ways to, to boost your immune system. I have that in, in, in my, in my guide, but basically this is it. You need to consume a whole food plant-based diet because the vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants and phytochemicals and the fiber in those whole food plant-based foods are going to boost your immune system. But also you need to, um, sleep enough. This is very important. If you sleep, if you don't sleep at least seven hours, your immunity goes down dramatically. Uh, especially less than five hours. Uh, and also the time you go to sleep, because there's a type of sleep called slow wave sleep that occurs more or less between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. 
If we go to bed too late, we skip on that type of sleep. And that's the type of sleep where we produce more growth hormone. And growth hormone actually boosts parts of our immune, of our immune system. It's related to some parts of our immune system. So if we go to bed too late, it also brings down our immunity. Oh, so there's wow. two aspects of sleeping. It's sleeping enough and going to bed not too late. <laughs> so those Yes, two- yes. And the other thing, of course, is exercise because exercise has been shown to boost immunity. Uh, of course, uh, avoiding dehydration. A dehydrated person also low, has lower immunity. And uh, staying away from things like alcohol, hopefully, because alcohol does bring down your immunity. Of course, other drugs do. So just, you know, things like cigarette and alcohol and drugs, of course, are not helpful. So I would stay away from those as much as possible if you want to keep your immune system in optimal condition. And getting some fresh air and sunlight out there, you know, just go out there and and go for walks. You don't have to be close to people. As long as you keep that six, you know, six feet distance from people, you can still go out for walks and get some fresh air. I think that's very important. And, And don't stress. Stress is so bad for your immune system. So, you know, rely on your faith and your belief and your um, social contacts and, and, and stay up, you know, with optimism. All of those things are very important because stress is very damaging to our immune system. So it's a combination of things. I think uh, just all of those things combined, uh, we need to basically practice in order to keep our immunity going. If we want to, if we want to avoid uh, having a serious case of, of coronavirus right now. Wow, that's that's some wonderful tips because I think this is lifestyle that we could live, you know, beyond Corona. Um, it's just it should be a way of living. But you put a lot of work into actually completing a guide, and I guess we'll put a link um, on where people can get this guide because you have much more information on building your immunity. And so we'll definitely post that in the link for those of us. Um, who want to know more on on really the the intricate details on how to build your immunity and make it a lifestyle because we shouldn't just be doing this for Corona, but honestly, this is just a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Even to prevent like the seasonal flu. I mean, thousands of people get this. In fact, millions of people are infected with the seasonal flu every year and thousands of people die. So this is something we could really could do every year, should do. Yes. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. And lastly, I, I hear a lot of people talking about these viruses, and I think a lot of times we think that these viruses just came out of nowhere. Can you talk a little bit about the link between these viruses and the consumption of meat? Because, you know, Ebola, swine flu, a lot of them have to do with this consumption of meat. You know what? Almost just about every pandemic or big epidemic like swine flu, or you know, when the swine flu came up um, in 2009, immediately the media changed the name to H1N1 because they didn't want people to associate the the flu, this pandemic flu or, you know, epidemic of flu in animal products. They didn't want to hurt the um the pork industry mm. but it was swine flu and uh, there's avian flu of course and we have these outbreaks of avian flu almost every year down in china india and other places they're still struggling with these diseases most of these viral diseases including sars in 2003 all of these have jumped from animals to humans and uh, i was listening to a ted talk the other day on this particular a subject, and she was saying, COVID nineteen is our future because we are eating animals at a larger scale than ever in the past, ever in history. 
we keep these animals in, in, in industrial farms in conditions that are completely unnatural for them. And so unsanitary conditions, and we give them lots and lots of antibiotics. About 80% of the antibiotics produced in the United States go to animals, not humans. Yes. Because the conditions we keep them in. And so the diseases in these animals are just like exploding because we keep them in, in these conditions because of the scale we're eating animals. Like, and now emergent economies in China and India, they want the first world lifestyle. They want to eat like we do. And so that means more and more of these diseases will start to happen. And not only that, but we're encroaching into wildlife spaces more and more. We're just running out of wildlife areas. And that means we're more in contact with these animals like bats and other animals that carry diseases we just don't have immunity for. So more and more chances of these diseases jumping from animals to humans. We're just making the situation worse with our lifestyle, especially our first world lifestyle diet, which is a high animal food diet, because we're, we're, we're encouraging uh, an industry that uh, is just keep, puts us in danger because of the scale of the amount of animals we're consuming in the world. Billions of animals have to die to feed us every year. And, it's, and that's using up land, it's using up resources like water, and, and we just can't, it's not sustainable for the future, for all humans to live this way. It's just not sustainable. So in, for environmental reasons and health reasons, we need to think in terms of uh, our future and our children and how sustainable our practices are. And I think a, a, a meat-based diet is absolutely unsustainable as far as going into the future. And and uh, and puts us at a higher risk for these viruses jumping to humans, like at a higher rate. Wow, that was a powerful, a powerful comment that you made there. Um, wow, I mean, there's nothing more to be said there. There, there's so many more reasons to eat plants. So um, many so many reasons. Um, and so that being said, um, before I close, I like to ask everyone on the show. Um, what are three items that you would put in your picnic basket of health for people to eat their best life? And this could be literal, metaphorical, however it comes to you. Mm. That's, well, I would definitely put a, I would say a whole food plant-based diet that feels very delicious and very, um, very comfortable and, and doable for you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I have finally come to the point where this is the only way I can even think of myself living. I can't even go back because I am happy with this diet. It makes me happy. It elevates the neurotransmitters in my brain that, yeah. uh, that give me, you know, good feelings. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I think people need to realize. Once you start eating this way, you feel so much better. Um, but also other lifestyle practices, like we said. So it's it's not just a diet. You can eat a perfect diet and you don't get enough sleep and you don't exercise. You're going to get sick. So it's a lifestyle and it's a commitment. And share it. Share it with other people. I think the, maybe the third element would be sharing and, yes. uh, and, and, uh, and spreading the word uh, and educating others. Because I think it's a gift. It's a gift to let other people know because so many people are suffering and, and sick and uh and dying from chronic diseases. And now we see infectious diseases that we are put at a higher risk if we don't have a good diet and lifestyle. 
So I think some of us that have been living this way, you know, could could be such a blessing for others if we share it in a way that is not preachy, but more like exciting about what we're doing and maybe motivating others and inspiring others. I think that's the way to go. It's not about preaching to people. Right. And it's more about inspiring people. Wonderful. So tell us, um, Maria, what is in the path for health for today and eat like an Adventist? What's coming up in the future for you? So right now I'm working on a set of videos that I'm putting on my uh, new YouTube channel because my old YouTube channel, I lost access to it. So I had to start a new YouTube channel. It's called Health for Today. And I just started posting new videos on it like a couple of days ago. So I'm going to post a series of videos uh, that are very relevant for right now. So the first one was exactly on how to boost your immune system, but also I'm going to talk about what kind of things you can do at home if you get the infection and you can't go to the hospital because some, if it's going to, I think it's going to come to the point where they're not going to take all cases of uh, COVID-19 infections because the hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. And in fact, it's already happening. People are being told just stay at home and drink a lot of water. But I, I want to make a video on what else you can do. So some of the things we spoke today, like the fomentations and such, and, uh, and then do more videos on, on just awareness on how to stay healthy, what Adventists did to beat the 1918 flu pandemic, things like that. So I'll be putting those up on, the, uh, on my YouTube channel. And the other thing is that I want to update the guide. So I'll be sending it out to anybody who has purchased it already. If you want to go ahead and purchase it now, you'll, you'll get 95% of the information. But I will add on to it, like the part about ventilation and sunlight. And so I'll, I'll add that on and then send it out again to those who have purchased it. And just so that people stay aware of things, I think it's so important. This information is so important. Unfortunately, though, um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out on the Internet and, and on YouTube and other places. So there's also a lot of um, censorship. Yes. And so, and so but unfortunately, you, sometimes you end up throwing the baby with the bathwater. And I tried to put my guide up on Amazon and they said no, because they're only trying to just, uh, you know, only the information that comes from the World Health Organization and other, you know, places Very like interesting. that. Mm-hmm. So it's sad because, you know, all the information I give you in that guide is all evidence-based. I give you a list, an extensive list of, res- of, of the references that you can look at. So it's evidence-based information, but if you're not with the World Health Organization or the CDC, you're not going to be able to publish a lot of things right now. And I know I understand the, the reasoning behind it, but unfortunately some good information is being censored. Gets lost. Yes, yes, yes. So wh- where can they find you on social media? So I am on Facebook. I, uh, the Facebook page is called Eat Like an Adventist. And I do have another page. It's called um, uh, The Original Diet. So that's where I put more like videos and stuff. And whereas Eat Like an Adventist is more about um, like recipes. And my, my, my webpage is healthfortoday.net. I do have an Instagram. I mostly put gardening things because I do garden. But once in a while, I put like pictures of my food and things like that so i'm on instagram uh and then i have a twitter account that i haven't been very active but i'm going to start posting more of my own content on the twitter account too under my own name maria jose hummel and uh so i'm on facebook and twitter and instagram 
I guess, and YouTube. <laughs> wonderful, 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 wonderful. And we will link all of those links in the show notes so that people will know where to find you and where they can get some of your resources and to be able to follow you and just keep up with some of the important information that you are sharing with the world. And so, Maria, I... I pray all God's blessing on your ministry as you go forward and continue to do God's work. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been a wonderful opportunity for me because I think the more people know about these things, the better. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We got to get the word out. Thank you so much again, Maria, for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. God bless you. You've been listening to the Eat Your Best Life, the podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. Until next time, thank you for listening.